Uh, I want everybody to turn their Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. John Estes uh, did the first four of the Ten Commandments last week. The first four focus on our right relationship with God. Having no other gods before him. You know, the, the list over there, how we relate to him. The fourth of which is one of the ways we relate to him is we're in his house on the Lord's Day. We separate that day out. It's like not like any other day of the week. Okay? And so uh, now we're going to the second tablet. But I, I want to I tell you this, what I'm about to tell you. Listen. God does not give us these commandments to make us miserable. God doesn't give it. Listen. God loves you. He is for you, not against you. He doesn't want to take the joy out of your life. The reason he gives us these Ten Commandments is so that you can have joy in your life. So you actually like being around one another. We're all fallen. We're all, all going to make mistakes. God gives us these commandments. Listen, the societies that follow the Ten Commandments, they flourish. The societies that don't honor those laws, they don't. They disappear. And so there's one in particular I want to talk to you about that is key. Uh, it, in the Roman Empire, in the Greek Empire, in the Persian Empire, when their society quit following these commandments, they didn't follow these rules, but when they quit following these principles, it was a sign that their nation was falling apart. And it's this one. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. Now, remember, the first four were about a right relationship with God. The last five are going to be how we relate to one another. This middle one is kind of an in-between because your parents are the channel through which God ensouled you for all eternity. He took your mama and your daddy, and together they brought you into existence by the very will of God. Now, I say that when we talk about honoring your father and your mother here in Exodus chapter 20. Listen. I've heard a lot of stories, especially how dads were bad dads. And, and I get that some parents are horribly abusive. And I had good parents that loved me dearly, and so I can't begin to empathize with what some of you may have been through. But listen, when I say what I'm saying this morning, uh, when I talk about honoring your father and mother, I realize that some have been extremely abusive and you don't need to be in their lives, but you still need to honor them by praying for them. You don't need to wish evil on their souls. And I'm sorry for what's happened to you. I really am. But in general, I want to talk generally about what this commandment says is that we are to honor the people through which God gave us life. And when at all possible, as much as it's up to you, unless it's, like I said, a really abusive situation, God calls us to live at peace with everyone. So do your best attempt to honor your father and mother. Now, the kids are in here today for communion. That's awesome. This sermon is specifically designed for the kids that are in the room, too. But this verse isn't just for them. They should understand this, that whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. That was the rule. And so, you know, kids in here, if you're with your parents and you see this verse here, you know, don't, don't make them pull out Exodus 21 on you someday, all right? Like, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to do that. But this tells you how important it is to bless your parents and not curse. And I just know this from reality. Like, none of your mommies and daddies called me last night. But the reality is, some of you, I just, there can't be this many teenagers or kids in the room. Some of you right now aren't being a blessed, blessing to your parents. You're a curse to them. They're losing sleep over you. 
You're not bringing joy to their life. Your aggravation in their life, not because of natural things, because you're choosing to bring curses upon them. And that's not where you want to be. So I say that especially for the teenagers and children in the room. But really, when we talk about Exodus 20, verse 12, to honor your parents, it doesn't just stop. It doesn't just last until you're 19 years old. This is a command for adults as well. What do I mean by that? I want you to get this general principle. I mean, we all, everybody in the room started out like this little blob right here, okay? Uh, we got a little bitty baby, and somebody might have been a foster parent, might have been an aunt, uncle, grandpa, but somebody took care of 100% of your needs or you would have never survived. And as you got older, they changed your diapers, and they fed you, and they, they cleaned you, they, they clothed you, somebody... You would not be here today if somebody didn't take care of you. And it was probably, for most of us, at least one of your parents. And as you got older, you need less and less care from them to eventually, hopefully, by the time you get to this age, you get out of their wallets, okay? That they're not paying for you anymore. They've gotten you an education. They've helped you find a job. You're on your own. You need to be taking care of yourself at some point financially. But here's the principle that this honor your mother and father sets up. It's written mainly not to children, but to people this age and people this age. You see, the word honor here is the same thing that James uses, same type of word that James uses when it says that shepherds, elders are worthy of double honor. It means they're to be paid well, taken care of well. And so when it says honor your mother and father, what it's communicating here is you need to honor your adult aging parents well. So this guy has to be taken care of according to the commandments, that guy. Who's taking care of grandma? See, this isn't just Bible school that Moses is talking about. He's saying, because somebody, your mom or dad or both, poured so much in you, this is the cycle of life. Once you start getting to this age, somebody has to start taking care of you a little bit, maybe, like they had to take care of you when you were 16. And the older you get, the more energy you have to put back into what they did for you. Read some statistics this past week, just as I was doing the research for this summer. And it said of widows and widowers over the age of 65, and this is part of what it means to honor, almost one out of three widows or widowers in the United States don't have a family member check on them even once a week. See, when the Bible tells us to honor your father and mother, it doesn't start when you're 19. Really, this command starts about the time you get to be my age. You take care of your parents. And I haven't left my, lost my mom and dad, but let me tell you what, for the people in the room who have lost their parents, 
I doubt there's anyone in the room if I would say, how many of you wish you would have spent less time with your parents in their last days? I doubt anybody would raise their hand. But how many times I'll hear people my age or a little bit older come and say, man, I just, I wish I would have been a better son. I wish I would have spent more time with my mom. Honor your father and your mother. And then this is the only command with a promise, but look at what the promise is, that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, now I've heard people say, man, this is a promise that if you take care of your parents and you honor them and obey them, you'll have a long life. Well, listen, my friends, I've known plenty of people who have died at early age who were good children to their parents. This isn't a command to an individual. Listen, it's a command to a nation. And this is what we saw happen to the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, the the Persian Empire before that. As a nation gets more and more affluent, don't miss this. As the nations got more and more affluent, what's happened is the, the people in their 30s or 40s, they started going to where the money was, moving away, not keeping in touch with the grandparents to the point that the kids weren't in contact contact with their grandparents. And whenever families in a society move away from parents and grandparents and don't keep any contact with them regularly, the divorce rate goes through the roof. I'll tell you why. I saw it when I was in North Dallas. Man, they were a bunch of achievers. It was one of the top 3% the area I lived in in North Dallas, one of the top 3% of wage earners in the country. Mom and dad both working, making six-figure salaries, fighting traffic an hour and a half a day. But, man, they were rolling in it in a big house. But how many times did I see, man, their families just weren't working? And mom was so stressed out because she didn't have any family in the area to help with their kids. And the church was constantly trying to play a role that's not... What a church can do. It's not doing what a church can do. It's what the family's supposed to do. Grandma is supposed to be able to help with the kids if they can. So I'm not saying, listen, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't ever move away from your parents. But what I am saying is this. We've got somebody in our church right now that's struggling with cancer. Alice Lee Ferguson, if you know her, uh, I mean, they've been pillars of the church, Dan and Alice Lee. She's struggling with cancer. She's in the hospital right now. One of the family members told me something here recently. They've got a grandson named Cooper down in the Atlanta area. And he calls his grandpa Dan every night to check on him, see how people are doing every night before he goes to bed. He's a sophomore football player down in the Atlanta area, but he still have a soft enough heart to call his grandpa every single night. Let me tell you what. Somebody raised Cooper right. And the nation that doesn't honor their elderly parents is a nation that God will curse. Whoever curses his mother. Let me tell you what, if I would poll, listen, listen. If I would poll the elderly people in our congregation, listen, the greatest way you can curse them is not to be involved in their lives. You want to bless, you want to honor your mother and father, call and check them on them. Spend time with them. 
Make sure to see him on the holidays, winter it, if it's at all possible. Make sure that they're involved in your children's lives in every way that you can. That's how you honor your father and your mother. Now, as I move to the, the next five, I, I want to introduce something to you that I especially designed for why we got children in the room. So if you got your kids with your grandkids, if they're old enough to be in here, they can, they can get this concept that we're giving you today. In the Bible, when you see a command that God gives us for our good, for our flourishing, <clears throat> he doesn't just give you commands for command's sake. He gives you a command, and then what you want to look for is a biblical concept behind that command. And every biblical concept behind every biblical command is ultimately rooted in the character of God. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Every command in the Bible is rooted in a biblical concept that is also rooted in some attribute or characteristic of the God we worship. This is why our theology is so important. Because if you know who God is, you will understand his concepts and commands. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to illustrate it for you for a little bit. Now, let's remember that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point of it will become guilty of it. We're all going to fail. We're all going to make mistakes on these. So I don't want you to feel like there's a lot of burden being placed on you today. I don't mean that at all. But what I want you to understand is I don't want you judging any of these as if they're more important than the other. I wanted you to say, man, I don't kill anybody. I don't steal from anybody. I'm better than the person who does that. No, James says, listen, you break one of them, you're guilty at all. You get a nine out of 10 on the test, you fail. You don't get a B plus. Okay? So let's not be judges here this morning of anyone except the person in the mirror. Everybody agree to that? Nobody elbowing your spouse. Nobody pointing at somebody across the room. Nobody thinking, boy, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this sermon today, okay? This sermon is, point, I want you to point at the person that this sermon is for. You ready? One, two, three, go. Now, some of you pointed at me, you're missing the point, okay? The sermon is for, for who's it for? Me, right? Okay, I don't think I saw, oh, Aaron just pointed at Jack. I saw you do it, all right? This is for you too, Aaron. All right, here it is. Commandment number six. You shall not murder. You heard this before, right? Don't murder. This is unauthorized, violent killing. That is the command. But there's a concept behind this that James, the brother of Jesus, extrapolates. Okay, here it is. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's something going on here, and there's something going on within that family. There's something going on within that workplace. There's some kind of passion, some war going on within that congregation. And what, what, what's causing the, this quarreling and conflict and fighting among them? Well, here it is, verse 2. You desire and you do not have. There's something they got that you want. They're not giving to you. So you murder. You lash out with your tongue. I mean, if I would just poll you this morning right now and say, hey, person near you right now, what, what's the last thing you fought about? It would all have this in common. Somebody wasn't getting what they wanted. So you murdered them with your tongue. 
with your words, with your body language, just by rolling the eyes. <laughs> we murder. Why do we do this? Because we covet and we cannot obtain. So we fight and we quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. This is what he's saying, man. You don't have it because you're not asking God to provide what you need. You're expecting other people to give you what you think you need. Instead of going to God for it, you're going to your husband for it or to your kids for it or to your workplace for it or to your school for it. And what God is saying, man, whatever it is that you think you're lacking, that you desire and you do not have, you're not going to get it from somebody else. They can't satisfy your most innate needs. So you murder somebody else trying to get it. Jesus says it this way. You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. The council is just like you can be sued for slander or for liable. That's the jury. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Man, whatever you do, man, I'll hear people say, oh, man, you fool, I can't believe you do that. Don't say that. That's not something Christians say about one another. And so having this attitude of anger in your heart that causes you to murder people in your mind. You may not have a knife, but you do it with your tongue. Jesus says, if this happens and you're offering your gift at the altar, man, you come to church and there it is, and th there's communion, but you're angry with someone else, then Jesus says, man, you need to leave it right there. You need to go be right with your brother, then come back. Leave your gift there. And then after you reconcile with your brother, come back and offer your gift. Remember how the first habit was about the right relationship with God? And this one's about right relationships with others? This is what he's saying. You can't get right here if you don't first get right there. You can't go and say, God, please forgive me of all the things I've done wrong against you when you're still holding grudges against people over here. This is why the scriptures say, and as much as it is up to you, live in peace with everyone. Now, I realize, man, there's some people probably, Larry, there's probably some people that, that, that don't want to get along with you. All right? Uh, he said a lot, all right? But as much as it's up to you, you need to be at peace with them. So now, here it is. Mommies and daddies, you'll do this one with your kids. In a minute, your kids are going to do it with you. So kids, pay attention to what your mom and dads do here because they're going to start out doing this little exercise, and then you're going to do it on the next one, okay? So the command is don't murder. The concept is don't even be angry. We shouldn't be angry. We should forgive one another. Here it is. What is the characteristic of God? Because of who God is, because of what we understand about God, why is murder wrong? Okay? Well, here it is. Jesus says this about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now watch. Watch this concept. Okay? Watch this concept. The command is do not murder. The concept is do not be angry with your brother. Brother. The characteristic, why? Because God is life. Everybody get that? Because Jesus is life, we shouldn't murder. Let me, let me say this again another way. 
Sometimes people say, well, why shouldn't I kill somebody? Well, you shouldn't kill them because the Bible says not to. That's not, listen, everything that is in the Bible is there because it reflects some characteristic of God. Something is not wrong just because the Bible says it's wrong. Now, now don't let that shake up the fundamentalists in the room. Listen to what I'm about to say. What makes something wrong is not because the Bible says it's wrong. The reason the Bible says something's wrong is because it violates a characteristic of God. We're created to be in his image and be like him. So if we're out murdering people, it's wrong not because the Bible says so. It's wrong because it's not who Jesus is. He is life. And we shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't be stirring up trouble with one another because this is true about Jesus. You remember this Christmas verse? For us, unto us a child is born, the son is given, the government will be his, upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. But man, the older I get, the more important this attribute of Jesus is important to me. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Steve Willis needs to be the Prince of Peace in my house up on Barger Hill. Do you get that? And as much as it's able, it is able for me to make peace in a situation, I need to do it because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Okay, that leads us to the next commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? It's basically any type of physical sexual relationship outside of marriage. A man is married to his wife. That means he wants to be, and he wants to be with another woman. That's adultery, okay? This is the concept behind that. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, Matthew 5, 27, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, here's the concept. It's not just about the command. It's also about the concept. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay? So that is the concept. Now, this is a struggle. I would say for every guy in the room, I mean, if I would say to you, man, or do you follow this? This is one of, man, I, I can't speak for women. I don't have a woman's mind, but I can just speak for most guys here. We struggle with our thought process and lust a lot of times when we look at women. I remember when I was 35 years old, I was in a shepherd meeting. I was just pastoring here, young pastor. And uh, I had Jack Ferguson in there who was 70, 72 years old at that time. Okay. He's 35, 40 years older than I am. And uh, we're sitting at Shepherd Meeting, and I'm just confessing to them that, guys, I'm just struggling with my thought life. I'm 35 years old. I was hoping this would go away by now, you know. I've been struggling with this since I was a teenager. And I looked over at 72-year-old Jack. I said, Jack, at what point in life is this going to be over? When am I not going to struggle with this anymore? And 72-year-old Jack looked back to me, and he says, he says I don't know, but when it happens, I'll let you, I'll let you know. I can't tell you. Man, it's, it's a struggle all the time. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, whenever you're setting your eyes and wishing you were with someone else other than your spouse, Jesus says, man, you're violating the concept. But here, it's not always about the concept. That's not what makes it sin. Okay? We are not to commit adultery. We shouldn't even lust after that which is not ours. What is, all right, parents, this is what you're going to do with your kids. What is the characteristic of God that is a good thing 
that is the opposite of the bad thing. What is it? We don't want to do, we want to commit adultery because God is, we just sang a song about it. What is something you can say to your kids? We don't want to commit adultery. We want to look after another woman or someone other than our spouse because God is, tell your kids. All right, you tell your kids and then your kids can judge you whether or not you were right. All right? Or you're not talking very loud. All right, tell you. Because we are, we are sticking with our spouse because God is fill in the blank. What is it? Because God is what? Say it. Faithful. That's what it says in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why are we going to be faithful? Because God who promised us salvation is faithful. Do you get the concept now? Because God is faithful, we don't commit adultery. All right, now let's go to this one. Thou shalt not steal. Okay? Now, I just remember when I was uh, in college, someone broke into my apartment the week before we were getting married and took a lot of the presents that people were sending us. Took even cash, checks, people were sending us in the mail. How many of you have ever had someone, like, steal something pretty valuable from you? Raise your hand or break into your house. Like, that's like, how do you feel, like, if it's happened in your home, when you come home and someone's been in there and they've torn stuff up, how do you feel at that time? That's the word. You feel violated, like, ooh. Like someone has stolen a part of your life. Listen, that's part of what makes stealing wrong. It's not loving our neighbor. Listen, listen, listen. If someone, if I work, if I buy a $10,000 car and it takes me four months to make $10,000, and I worked, put all my energy into that job for four months and someone steals that $10,000, car for me, what you have effectively done is you just stole four months of my life. Does that make sense? You stole four months of my life. And when someone broke into my house and stole those cards and presents from people I'd known since I was a baby, you stole a part of my life. And that's wrong. I, I worked for that or people wanted to give that to me. So that's part of why stealing is wrong is because it violates others. But listen to what Jesus says for the concept. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the concept, instead of being someone who steals, the concept is we need to be someone who what? Gives. Now, that's the command. Don't steal. The concept is we need to be givers. We need to be generous, right? We don't need to steal from the Lord. That's why we tithe. John talked about it earlier, at least that. What is the characteristic of God? God is a kid. Now you tell the people near you, we don't steal and take from others. We should be givers because God, what is true about God? Kids, tell your parents. Work on here. This is a great exercise for life. It's one of the most important concepts you could ever teach your kids. What, what makes something right and wrong? Okay? Because God is a what? What is true about God? God is, he's generous. God's a giver, right? God's a giver. That's what makes something right or wrong. It's based on the character of God. God's not a stealer. God's a giver. That's why, Johnny, we don't steal. 
That's why we give to the church because God's a giver, okay? It's what James 1 says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about being a giver, why that's important, and how God's a giver, but I chose this one for a reason. Listen to what I'm about to say. Man, this is so important. Once in a while, you'll hear some preacher say, Old Testament stuff doesn't count anymore. Because the God of the New Testament is a different God than the one of the Old Testament. And whenever you hear some preacher say the God of the New is different than the God of the Old, you need to turn them to a New Testament verse here, James 1, 17, and says, you know what? God doesn't vary. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and when? Tomorrow. This is why whatever God said was right or wrong 4,000 years ago is still wrong today. And it, listen, if something was wrong and violated the character of God 10,000 years ago and God's character doesn't change, then 10,000 years from now, whatever he says is right and or wrong now, it'll still be right or wrong then. Everybody get that? It doesn't change. So all these enlightened Christians that say, well, we don't follow what that says anymore. Well, listen what? What makes something right or wrong is based on God's character. God's character doesn't change. Therefore, whatever is wrong then is wrong now. You get that, church? It's all based on the character of God, and God's character does not change. That leads us to number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You don't tell lies about them, and you don't say lies to them. That's the command. What's the concept? Jesus says this. When you talk to somebody, let what you say simply be yes or no. You never say, oh, I swear to God this is true. Never say that. Oh, let me promise. Don't say that. Just be a person of your word so that when you tell somebody this is how it is, they believe you. Or if you say, no, it didn't happen, they believe you. Now, that's the command is don't tell a lie. The concept is tell the truth. Why is it wrong to tell a lie and why is it right to tell the truth? Because God is true. God never lies. Jesus even said this way, I am the way, the truth. So lying is wrong because God is true. Y'all get that? Mommies and daddies, listen, there's... Other than telling your kids that Jesus loved them, died on the cross, rose from the grave, there's nothing more important than what I'm teaching you now. Teach them theology. Teach them who Jesus is. Not just what he does, who he is. And it is by that framework that we know everything else in life and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to love and live. Now, finally, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything to your neighbors. Let's put that in 21st century. Nor his, your, your neighbor's wife or his employees. His ox would have been his car or his truck. His donkey would have been my car, all right? Or anything that belongs to your neighbors. Now, commandment number 10 is the catch-all of catch-alls. What is at the heart of covetedness? What is at the heart of that? Here it is. It's the sin of my discontent. 
I'm not happy with what God's given me. And this is the heart of every sin, of every murder, of every theft, of every lie, of every adulterous action. You're not happy with what you have. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, in all the years I've done counseling, I've had people come in and say, oh, Brother Steve, Pastor Steve, I'm really struggling. I hate that. I've got so much anger towards this person. I just hate him. I've had people come in, oh, Brother Steve, I've got this problem with pornography and lust. Brother Steve, I cheated on my husband. Brother Steve, I, I, I told a lie to my wife, to my parents. Brother Steve, I stole from the government. I didn't pay my taxes. People come in all the time saying stuff that they have violated, but no one has ever come in and said, Pastor Steve, help me. What is it? I struggle with coveting. No one's ever come in and said that. You know why? Because we all do it and we all accept it. It's what drives our economy here in the United States. Every commercial we see. The point of which is to make you unhappy with what you have so you will go out and use the MasterCard to buy something else. That's why you need credit cards is so you can get stuff that you don't have the money for yet. You're just not happy with what God's given you. So it drives us to work overtime. It drives us to take jobs away from the ones we love. It drives us to make horrible decisions that affect people around us all the time. It drives our holidays. It's coming this month. Have you already started getting the emails? Black Friday's coming. And everything in your mailbox, all the spam in your email, Facebook ads are going to triple. All to convince you that you deserve better than what God's given you. It's the sin of my discontent. And so here's the concept. Jesus says, man, don't lay up stuff for yourselves on earth. We're moth and rust destroyed and where thieves break in and steal. Man, if there's any time that it's more clear, it's Christmas. We train our kids to be this way. They come in, we got all these presents underneath the tree. Here they come. We pay 40, 50, sometimes 100 bucks for something underneath that tree. And you know how I know that this is just all a silly little game? Six months later in June, you're going to be having a summer yard sale, and you're going to sell that toy that you paid 50 bucks for for 50 cents in your yard sale. It's just going to be sitting right there, man. You, you gave your life for an entire day to buy that present, and now you're selling it for almost nothing. Why? Because moth and rust destroy. And thieves can break in and steal. Jesus says, ah, don't do that. You just need to lay for yourselves treasures up in heaven. And that's never going to moth or rust. Rust's not going to destroy that. Thieves won't break in and steal that. It's like I said earlier, man, nobody can steal Nobody can steal from you the memories you have sitting around the bed of your grandma. Nobody can take that from you. 
Nobody can take away that time I rode with my boys on the bikes up the Cranberry River to go fishing. Nobody can steal that from me. You get that? Nobody can steal from me that time that I was baptized in Hanley Baptist Church by my brother Phil. You can't take that from me. Moth and rust aren't aren't going to destroy that. But yet we work our fingers with bone. We we put our hands to the plow for that which will disappear tomorrow. All because of the sin of my discontent. The devil uses everything he can to put that in our hearts. And Jesus says, man, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And then he gives a warning. Because this is the heart of coveting. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye's bad, if you're looking at bad stuff, and when I say looking at bad stuff, some of you went straight to porn because that's what you struggle with, and maybe that's what you should think of. But listen, some of you, it's just looking at the advertisements in a magazine. It's just watching that commercial about that living room set that you think you need. Or that new Chevy. Or that $50,000 truck. If your eye is bad, I'm not saying you can't have material things, but man, I'm just telling you, when you're not happy with what you have, whatever you do, don't buy something else. That's not the reason to buy. It'll never give you happiness. It will never be a true treasure for you. All it will lead is for your body to be filled with darkness. And if your eyes are just focusing on that, which will bring you darkness, how great that darkness will be. That's why we teach the song when kids are little. Sing it with me if you remember it. Oh, be careful, little eyes. What you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes. What you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's not just a song for Bible school. It's especially for this Christmas season. Now that said, you're going to go home today and you're going to see a commercial on TV. You're going to leave here. Before, before you go home, you're going to leave. That's right, man. I'm going to dedicate my life to Jesus. And I'm going to go home, and then the TV's going to come on, and you're going to see a truck, and you're going to like, I wish I had that truck. And you're going to drive by a house, and you're going to like, I wish our house was decorated like that. I only have 2,000 square feet for my six kids. I need 8,000. John said, I'll take four. (laughs) And I just want to remind you of this. Every time that you slip up in sin, it's a reminder. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, you become guilty of all of it. Some of you guys go out here today, and you're just going to see a pretty girl when you're walking out of church, and you're going to think something you shouldn't think, and you just, you failed it all. You get an F on the test. You're like, well, Steve, how could I ever pass the test? You mean I got to be perfect? And this is what Paul writes. He says, it's by the works of the law, man, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, is not to tell you what all you've got to do, because you can't do it. 
You do not have the ability to keep the Ten Commandments all the time. You're going to fail before you get to your car today because somebody in the parking lot's got a nicer car than you do. But here's the good news of the gospel is that God shows his love for us that even when we're, when we're coveting, when we're murdering with our tongue, when we're valuing someone else's spouse, when we're looking lustfully at something, even while we're doing that, Christ knew we would be doing it and he showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. And that is the good news of the gospel, my friends, that we are failures, but Jesus is the only person with the character to get it done. He went up Mount Calvary. He perfectly fulfilled the demands of the law so that by his perfect sacrifice on Calvary, you might have eternal life through faith in his name. Are you trusting in your own works this morning or are you trusting in the perfect substitutionary act of atonement that Christ gave you on Mount Calvary? Which is it? So you're struggling with anger right now? Give it up to the man who died on the cross. Let Jesus' blood cover that. You're struggling in your marriage right now. You're struggling in your workplace. You're struggling with telling the truth. You're struggling with the desire and things, you're just not happy with what God's given you, then I'm just asking you right now, before you come to this communion table, take it to Jesus. And let his blood wash away all your sins.